Proverbs chapter 22. And if you don't have a physical Bible and you would like one, there's one on the end of a row near you. You can snag, ask a neighbor for it, or um, you could open up your phone and we use the English Standard Version. That might be easier to follow along. There are plenty of Bible apps out there. Proverbs chapter 22. And for those of you who have not been with us, for the summer we have been going through the book of Proverbs and we find ourselves at the end of the book. Um, or the end of the series, um, because Proverbs is something that is what one pastor called the hard candy of the word. It's something that, as you kind of get into it, you are supposed to meditate on it and dwell on it verse by verse, line by line, and they're not always connected. And so what we have done is we have taken the Proverbs and uh, we have taken this opportunity to dive into the beginning. And so it states that Proverbs begin with the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You start with this prologue. Now, where's the prologue? Anybody remember? The beginning. Very good. Chapter 1. Okay, you, wouldn't, you, you would have missed it. First service, crickets. No idea. I said, chapter 1, go get coffee. Right out here. Walk out, go get coffee. Come back. Maybe you'll get the back end. So, Yes, the prologue at the beginning, chapter 1, verse 7 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and then you zip forward through Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and it kind of bookends the beginning of Proverbs with this idea that standing in awe of the glory and majesty of God is our primary purpose and aim. It's where the heart gets satisfaction, where joy comes from, where ultimately what the author of Proverbs is hoping that we would do is as we sit at the feet of Jesus, we would grow wise. Which is why the series is called Wisdom as a Way of Life. Because once you get to chapter 10, then it seems like just massive random spray of all kinds of topics from chapter 10 all the way to the end of the book. And so... What many have done, this is the approach we took, there were seven major topics that we kind of dove into after we spent time with the fear of the Lord and the importance of the Word of God highlighted in chapters 1, 2, and 3. We went towards these seven topics about how to live wise, specifically with your mouth. How to live wise in your family. How to live wise with your emotions from fear to anger, jealousy, these things that come up in the heart. What do you do with them? What does it look like to live a life of wisdom? What do you do with your work? And when you make money, what, is, what does wisdom look like there? What does wisdom look like? It looks like humility and not pride. It looks like pursuing righteousness and life rather than death and selfishness. These are the things, and now we end up today with the last deposit in one of these seven areas, and that is friendship. The Bible has a lot to say about friendship. But as we go into Proverbs, we just really want to hone in on what the Proverbs says about friendship. So this is not an exhaustive study on friendship, okay? This is just kind of what what do the Proverbs kind of point to when we deal with the issue of friends? So today we'll finish up the book of Proverbs. Next week we start a new series, the book of Galatians, titled Free at Last, going through Galatians through the rest of the fall. So... As we look here at the book of Proverbs, when I say the word friends, depending on your age, 
you think of multiple different things. But for many who are younger, the word friend has been redefined, and it is usually something found where? Social media, right? Okay, thanks for that non-answer. Good night, we have got to talk here. Um, So it is, right? I mean, you have to make a pretty crucial decision. This could affect the rest of your life, and that is how are you going to treat this word friend, right? Is it a come one, come all approach? I want like 10,000 friends? Or is it more of a selective approach? Just the people that I like and want to know about. You know, these are major life-altering decisions. And then you go on and you also have this of who you will follow. Many times that who you will follow on Instagram, it will be you want to know a little bit more about their life. It could be friends. It could be famous. You just kind of want to know more there. It could be Snapchat. And the major crisis is will you streak the longest, I know that could sound weird, but that's how it works, you know. How long will you go on this streak or that streak and with who? All of a sudden you're creating categories of friendships, depths of relationships. And this is how the Bible speaks about friendship. There are many friends and there are a few friends that stick closer than a brother. And there's all kinds of stuff in between. But I just want to tip my hat or my hand because... This is not like a big, great reveal. This sermon is not going to be kind of laying out something that is just earth-shattering. So I'm just going to tell you right up front. It's not a great reveal. The Bible is clear about these two things. And it is this. Friendship with Jesus is sufficient. And friendship with others is vital. And when you hear those two things, one, you can hear that sounds spiritually patronizing. Jesus is enough. Or if you're really philosophical, you might sound they they sound at odds. Sufficient and necessary or sufficient and vital. I want to assure you, they're not at odds. But friendship with Jesus is sufficient and our greatest need. And friendship with others is vital to necessary for life. So, with that, we start in Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, and then I will pray. Proverbs 22 is just like the Proverbs. It's a, it's a father talking to a son or a child and just saying, hey, I'm about ready to lay out some wise words here and you need to do something. So I'm trying to stick to the Scriptures so that you actually get wise words. What usually comes from me might lack in a little wisdom. But this word doesn't lack in wisdom. And so here's our disposition towards our time. Look at Proverbs 22, verse 17. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. And apply your heart to knowledge. All of a sudden, it's not just what facts you can learn. It has to do with this. How you feel. And who you love. For it will be pleasant if you keep them within you. Meaning there's a chance that this can leak. And not stay in. It can get in and then go out. It's pleasant. It's good for you if you keep it within you. And if all of them are ready on your lips. 
In order that, why would you keep them in? Why would you want wisdom to coat you? It is because in order that your trust may be in the Lord. I have made them known to you today, even to you. Let's pray. Father, my aim and my prayer for my heart and the hearts of the dear people in this room is that we would incline our ear to you. We would hear your word and our lives would be changed. That our hearts would be molded. Our lives would be pricked. And that, Father, we would not allow distraction or sleepiness, lowness of energy, anxieties of the world to allow this wisdom to seep out and us to pursue another way. God, I pray, O God, that they would stay in our hearts and ready on our lips, that we would live a life that trusts you. And so please, God, I pray, in all of my weakness and imperfection, show off your beauty. Love these people in this moment by giving them your precious word and change us all on the spot. Please, God, I pray. Thank you. Thank you for being a friend to sinners. Miracle of miracles. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we focus on friendship here, we ask the question, first of all, it is the primary question of the Proverbs, one of the primary emphases that it has, and that is, who should be a friend? Who should be a friend? One of the primary emphases in the book of Proverbs has to do with what Mark Dever calls good friends and bad friends. That was kind of on my level. You know, you got good friends and bad friends. Doesn't get too complicated. Let's keep it simple. And so that's where we're going to start. The Proverbs lay out there are bad friends to have and there are good friends to have. And so, as we dive in here, we have to ask, what does the Bible say about who to avoid? Who might be in the bad friend category? Proverbs 22, verses 24 through 25 says this, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Hanging out with in a intimate friend way with those who are given to anger and wrath is something that you should not do to pursue friendships. You should avoid that lest you learn their ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Proverbs 24, 1-2 Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their hearts devise violence and their lips talk trouble. Now, why would you be jealous of evil men? Like, at least initially for many, it's like, oh, they're talking violence. Yeah, that's not usually the chant. It's not usually like, okay, that's, that's the guy I want for my friend. Why is this? It's because many times these are the people that are famous, that are um, popular, and all of a sudden you begin to be jealous not of what they're saying, but of their status, of their acceptance. And so you compromise certain things in order to be with them. 
But then the more you get to know them, they boast in revenge. That might be an expression of violence. Get back at them. Or they're just consumed with talks of trouble. The Bible says, don't be envious of those kind of people and don't desire to be friends with them. Proverbs 13.20 Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. You hang out with wise, you become more wise. You hang out with foolish, you will suffer harm. What is the overriding principle of why you should avoid certain relationships when it comes to friendship? It's called osmosis. The people you hang out with, they affect you. They influence you. Any parent knows this is how it rolls, right? I mean, like, if there's any common mantra from a parent, it is, come on, let's make good friends. Let's make wise choices. Let's hang out with the right people. You know, we're saying this over and over. Why? Why? Because we understand this to be true. The ones that you spend the most time with, they influence your life and you become like them. And so Paul summarizes it like this. Because many times parents know how to instruct their kids, but they're not very cautious themselves. Paul says this, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Meaning, it's easy to be deceived. This whole idea of osmosis in friendship is a proverbial truth. Now, if you have been at our church for the past, really much at all, but for the past six months, you know that this major theme for this year has been that we would be and make what? Disciples. That's right. Well, how in the world do you make disciples if you don't hang out with people that need Jesus? This seems to be completely contradictory to that. What do you do? Come listen to the sermon. That might be one option. <laughs> what do you do? The Bible is not saying don't hang out with people that need to know Jesus. It is a flag that waves that says, be careful. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, be careful when you stand lest you fall. Many of us are deceived to think that we're stronger than we really are. This is why the regular encouragement is that when we hang out with people that don't love Jesus or don't know Jesus, we don't judge them. We want to get to know them. We do. We want to befriend them. We want to care for them and pray for them. But my encouragement to you, and I think it's the encouragement of the Scriptures, is don't do it alone. Because you need someone who knows. Someone who cares enough about you to tell you that you are becoming more like them than they are becoming like Christ. We're weak. We need help. This is what friends need. We need the help of one another. So then who should we pursue? If we want to be influenced rightly, who should we pursue? The Bible says, Proverbs 24.5, A wise man is filled with strength. A man of knowledge enhances might. You hang out with wisdom. 
And you become wise. You get stronger. You can make wiser decisions. You're more careful with your mouth. You know how to love your kids. You're cautious at work. You're not lazy and you're not idolizing work. You're generous with your money. You just are shaped the more you're at the feet of Jesus. And the more you're with people who are at the feet of Jesus, it shapes you. That's why the church is so important. We need one another. Proverbs 24, 6. For by wise guidance you can wage war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. This image of waging war is just walking the difficulty of every day. The way we do that is that we hang around wise guidance. We receive counsel. That's how we live a life of victory. Who should we pursue? We should pursue those who love Jesus. Now, if that's who we should pursue, it begs the question that's kind of underneath that. Why friends at all? Why'd God set it up this way? Because in the heart of every single person, there is this longing for friendship. There's this longing for a relationship. And here's a principle. He gives us earthly relationships to reflect His love. Okay? So, let's start not with a proverb, but with Ecclesiastes 4. Solomon, in his wisdom, helped craft the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 says this, Two are better than one because they have good reward in their toil or their work. For if they fall, one will be there to lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has nobody to lift him up. You get this sense of it's just good not to be alone because there's this assumption you will fall. You will make mistakes. You are fragile. There is something that humanity teaches us, and that is that we are not God. We need sleep. We are weak. We stumble and fall physically. Everybody say amen. You've done it. Yep, up the steps. Yep. And spiritually. And we need one another to help lift up. Ecclesiastes says what a tragedy it is that when you fall, there's nobody there to help pick you up. The church is not meant to be a religious formality. It is meant to be a people who are with and along one another so that when we fall, we can help pick one another up. This is not a place of perfection. If you're trying to find a place for perfection, go someplace else. This is a place of needy people who have found a beautiful Savior. And we need Him together. And so... Friends are a gift. They are a gift. Someone who will listen to you. Someone, sometimes friendship allows this privilege. They love what you love. Now, it doesn't always happen, but you know, when you like this certain team and somebody else likes that certain team, that's pretty exciting. You like this certain food. You love going out to eat with that food with somebody else. You love just loving things with somebody else. You love it when people get your jokes and they actually stay your friend after you've told them. Right? You like that. You love it when people are there when you're struggling. 
You can pick up the phone. You can text them. Why is this? Why is, why is that... Why is that wired in here? Have you ever asked that question? Like, why don't we just like walk along life and not need one another? Some of us would think like, that sounds good. Yeah. No, it's not. Why would he wire that we need one another? Because of this, there's been a guest who's been coming and I've had some interactions with him and he has told several that he keeps coming back because... They knew my name. And this is a commendation to this church. You are precious people. You are my family and dear friends. And you love people well. But what it is for someone to walk in and to just have their name remembered a week later. To know something about their life and to say, I care about you. This is hardwired into the heart of every single person. We love to be known. Known. And what is most crucial in this moment is that we were. We were created to be known. But hear this. Friendships are meant to be a reflection of and not a replacement for God. Friendships are meant to be a reflection of God's love. A reflection of His faithfulness. But never a replacement for God and His faithfulness. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are known. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, God's hands are open calling out for you to surrender your life and He is saying, I love you and I want to know you. Here is where it begins, right? Psalm 144, verse 3. If we're honest with ourselves, sometimes this is why we don't have friendships, but we're saying this maybe even of God too. Oh Lord, what is man that you would regard him, the son of man that you would think of him? Who am I? Who am I that anybody would want to spend time with, let alone the creator of the universe? Who am I? Well, I want you to know, this is what our God says. The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. The Lord knows His children. The way of the blameless is a way to say those who are living righteously. It's a way to talk about those who have surrendered their life to God and are walking with Him. The Lord knows you. Many of the women in this room, I can tell you this, that I know you. I know your husband. Or I know where you work. Or I know some of you, and we have done some counseling situations, I know other things about you. But my wife, I know her. I know her differently than I know every other woman. It's a knowledge of depth. It's a knowledge of tenure, of 20 plus years of being together. It's a knowledge of working through hard things together. It is a deeper knowledge. And God is saying, I know everything and there is nothing that I do not know or will ever not know. I know it all. But surrender your life to Me because there's an intimate knowing that you don't have if you're not a follower of Jesus. And if you are, 
You need to be encouraged right now in this moment that you are known. You are treasured. You are loved. You are, it says, the apple of His eye. And that's why the psalmist says in Psalm 31, 7, I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction and you have known the distress of my soul. There is no experience you will ever have where God doesn't know you in that experience. He is with you. Nothing is foreign to Him knowing you and loving you. That's why Nahum 1.7 says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in Him. And then let's zip forward to the New Testament. John chapter 10. He flees because He is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep, but I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Our Savior is not a hired hand. He is not sticking with you because it's some type of financial benefit for Him. He is a shepherd. He is a Savior. He loves you and He knows you. He cares for you and He will never leave you. I was eating with a friend uh, this week, over pizza this week. As we were sitting there, I asked him if he would want to pray for us. And he said yes, and so he prayed. And as he prayed, this is what he prayed. And it stuck out to me. Thank you, God, for walking through and conquering the greatest space of loneliness, the grave and death itself. And if you can conquer that, you can conquer my sadness and my loneliness. And I trust you. Isn't that beautiful? Over pizza. There's definitely two different ways you can pray before a meal. He was broken, communing with the living God, and I was influenced by that. I was shaped. But you have a God who knows you and who went to the very depths of hell Himself. That is, not literally, but the abandonment of the Father. The sense that His Father, the one that He had been intimate with, would reject Him so that He would never reject us. He did that so that we might have life and have it to the full, that you might be known. The Proverbs say it this way, Proverbs chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. For the Lord stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. And the Proverbs say, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of His saints. The Lord knows you. He's watching you as one who loves you. Cares about every ounce of you. Now, we need to transition because... It is the security of that love that shapes how you love somebody else. And there's a direct correlation between how much you know you are loved with how you love other people. And you see this in Colossians chapter 3. I felt like it was a summary text that kind of bridges these two together. 
that we need to be secure in His love for us because that shapes how we love other people. Listen to Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Put on then as God's chosen ones. Now this phrase could be highly controversial, but it's meant to be beautifully sweet. It is God's chosen ones, the elect ones. It is meant to be said that God did not save you because He saw goodness in you, but because He is good. He did not save you because you were more lovely than someone else. He saved you because He is lovely. And with that kind of security, that it's not built upon you, it is built upon Him, there is a sense of those who are His are His for good. It's that kind of security of being known that it is a sufficient security. Friendship with Jesus is sufficient. And a God who knows you is enough. But it's out of that that shapes how we love one another. Isn't that what the passage says here? Put on then. The image is like clothes. You take off the old ratty clothes and you put on clothing that is secure and warm. What do you put on? You put on as one who is loved and cherished by God. You put on as one who is set apart and holy. As one who is loved and beloved. It says right here, put on then compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Put these things on. Do you see? He just went from because you are secure in my love, now love other people. If you try to get a compassionate heart without security in God's love for you, what happens? Doesn't last long, does it? It's not natural to be compassionate. It's not natural to be humble. It's not natural to be meek and to consider others better than yourself. It's supernatural and therefore you need to be tapped into the one who loves you. Dear friends, it goes on to say, what does it look like to make friends, to love one another? It's bear with one another in love. And if anyone has a complaint against one another, now that's why friendship is really hard, right? Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Do you see what he just did? Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. If you don't know the forgiveness of God towards you, then you will struggle to forgive other people. This directly relates to this. It's not an either or, it's a both and. But it is definitely a first, then a second. You need to know the love of God for you so that then you can rightly love others. Paul was clear. Like, he's in prison, he is alone, and he says, I need you to bring my parchments and I need you to send somebody to me because I'm alone and I need friendship. Friendship is a gift. It is wonderful. It is vital. But we cannot miss the fact that friendship with Jesus is Sufficient. So, here's where things can turn a little sideways. Because if we aren't secure in God's love for us, then sometimes what happens is we place too heavy a burden on other people. Here's something. The overwhelming emphasis of the New Testament 
is not for you as an individual to find another perfect individual called a friend. The overwhelming emphasis of the New Testament is to be near to a perfect Savior and to be unified with His imperfect church. I'll say it again. The overwhelming emphasis is not for you to find an individual friend. The overwhelming emphasis of the Bible is that you get near to a perfect Savior and that you learn how to grow in unity with His imperfect church. And here's what happens. When you seek to put Savior-like expectations on a person, a husband, a wife, a child, a neighbor, a community group member, a leader, a pastor, a counselor, a co-worker, a childhood friend, a family member. Anybody I left out, put them there. When you begin to put Savior-like expectations on a person, you are setting yourself up for disappointment. You are going to crush the person either with smothering presence or burdensome expectations. And you'll remain constantly discontent. You know why? Because many times unknowingly, when one person or a couple of relationships get raised to that level, you have subtly demoted Jesus as a sufficient enough friend. And here's what happens. What happens is we must be careful and ask ourselves, I felt like this was really helpful and succinct, ask ourselves, are we making friends for acceptance or from acceptance? Here's a chart a friend of mine had been working through some things with uh, some counseling helps and we've been working together. And this chart here, will lay out two different ways. The gray side might be what's it look like to kind of walk in the flesh. And the gold side might be what does it look like when you're walking in the Spirit in step with God. And I think the two summary statements would be when you are pursuing friendship for acceptance, I need their acceptance so that I don't feel rejected, so that I feel secure, so that I feel loved. When you do that, here's what happens. When you place Savior-like expectations on others, here's what happens. You become smothering. <laughs> there was a proverb. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 17. And it says this, Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house lest he has his fill of you and hate you. That doesn't mean don't go over to your neighbor's house. But it speaks to the fact that you can overstay your welcome, right? (laughs) I got more amens out of that statement than all kinds. (laughs) Like, yeah, you can overstay your welcome. Sometimes we do that because we are leaning too heavily upon that relationship to be something for us that maybe it can't be. When we are working, when we are making relationships for acceptance, we can be smothering, we can be possessive, right? That's mine. And you get frustrated when somebody else, they're spending time with somebody else, you get possessive, jealous. Sometimes it's hard to accept help 
You get really dependent, or the clinical phrase would be codependent. You're dependent upon somebody else for the things that you feel that are lacking in you. You're placing savior-like expectations on people. You get overprotective because, right, if that relationship is compromised, your whole world is crushed. And you get enmeshed. Sometimes you can get so deep into that relationship, you can't even see the big picture because they are your everything. And you can get demanding. David Pallison says, desires are great, but when desires shift to demands, all of a sudden you've made something else a God. When you get demanding, it could mean that you are making someone bear a burden they cannot bear. But there's hope. Because every one of us, and I mean it, every one of us have struggled with that. Right? We've all done it. This is not just a condemn certain people fest. This is a, hey, we are in a struggle. But we have a Savior who knows us. And therefore, we are fully known. We are fully accepted. And so, Colossians chapter 3. Beloved, holy, chosen, secure, now love. When that happens, you're on the gold side. You're nurturing. You're caring. You're hospitable. You're empathetic. You're an encourager. You're generous. You're respectful. You have self-care. Meaning you can set some good boundaries. See, sometimes if a relationship with somebody else is so important to you, you don't set boundaries for yourself. And you just constantly serve and constantly serve and constantly serve rather than taking a rest. Because if you stopped, they might not like you. What you win people to will be what you keep them with. So may we win them to Jesus. From His acceptance. From His acceptance. You are known from His acceptance. That's how we seek to make friends. But some of you, some of you the struggle is the fact that you've tried this friendship gig and you've been hurt. Right? Every one of us have had these experiences. I tried to love somebody and they hurt me with their words. I tried to love them and I pursued them and they never pursued me back. I tried to love them only to have them betray me. I tried to love them only to have them move away and leave. And it just feels too hard. You just want to quit sometimes. It's just easier to sit by yourself, you think. This is why you can't believe that lie. We need one another. Relationships with one another is vital. It is necessary. Even though friendship with Jesus is sufficient. But what do we do? The Proverbs tell us. Proverbs 24.16 Proverbs 24.16 says this, For the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. What is your response when you have been hurt and you don't think you want to pursue friendship anymore? You get up again. You get up again. And you go be a friend. You get up again. And you go be a friend. 
Where in the world do we get that kind of example? Where do we get that kind of power? It's a Savior who, when He was mocked, He went all the way to the cross and died for me and for you. One who never gave up, never quit. And this is where H.B. Charles Jr., African-American pastor, I highly recommend his sermon, such a gift. He says this, I went out to find a friend and couldn't find any. I went out to be a friend and they were everywhere. I went out to find a friend and could not find any. I went out to be a friend and they were everywhere. So with these remaining minutes, what does it look like? What do the Proverbs teach us about what it looks like to be a friend? Because if you remember, the main emphasis of the Proverbs is that there's an assumption you're going to have friends. You're either going to have good ones or bad ones. But there's this DNA that's built into us that we need friends because it helps reflect, not replace, God. It's good to be known. So what does it look like? Not to use people for acceptance, but out of acceptance to love somebody else. What's it look like to be a friend? I was reading on, uh, I think it was Twitter the other day, and an uh, individual said they, they did a test. They did a test, and here was their test. I'm going to show up to church 15 minutes early and stay 15 minutes longer than I used to. Here are the results. The results, he says, he said, I found worship more impactful and the pastor more insightful. His quote, a calm heart is fertile ground. The second thing had to do with friendship. He said, I found friends, new friends. He said, your experience in church will be dramatically altered if you arrive expecting friends to be there. Arrive expecting someone you can relate to. You can listen to. And here is a quote I thought was beautiful. But you can't build new friendships on the run. Hashtag create margin. We have to create space. I said this in a sermon in 2015 on friendship, but many of us had great friendships either growing up in our neighborhood, at our school, or in college. And why was that? Because we had time. And some of us now, we're doing the adulting thing and we don't want to adult anymore. And we don't have time. We're zipping around. But then we wonder why we don't have friends. We have to begin to create some time. Create some margin to be a friend. It could be 15 minutes. Capitalizing on the precious people that gather here at Treasuring Christ Church week in and week out. So how could I be a friend? The Proverbs say friends love. It sounds simple. sounds kind of duh. But friends love. And here's where we get it. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times. Anybody ever sing a song like that growing up as a kid? A friend loves at all times when things are good or bad. 
Yeah, it was a really bad tune, but that's how it rolled. A friend loves at all times, whether things are good or bad. A brother is born for adversity. Love. I can't tell you how many times I've said this over the years. Probably hundreds. Love is not a feeling. It is a choice. And love is tested not when things are going well, but when the offenses come. Right? Hatred stirs up strife. Love covers all offenses. You know if love is love after an offense. some love there it is <laughs> okay here we are so i'm moving over here so it's easy to love when things are going easy right it's easy when people are doing what you want it's just easy it's also easy when both of you are walking in the spirit but what about when you're not what about when you're sour what about when you misunderstand each other? What about when you say the harsh word? There is where love is tested. Love is tested. And so it is not a feeling. It is a choice. And so I want you to know my marriage has only survived because of this statement. That it is a choice. My wife and I don't always feel like we love each other all the time. Newsflash, any relationship that lasts any time at all, the feelings will do that. Love is a choice. It's a choice that says, God, you have loved me and I'm committed. I'm in this. I won't give up. I'll keep getting back on the horse. I'll keep going at it. So what does love look like? Love prays, love forgives, love listens, and has a compassionate heart. Do you remember when we talked about words? It listens more than it talks. Love lives righteously. But the proverb says, friends, when they live a life of love, they also give counsel to each other. Friends counsel with words of life. Proverbs 15, 22. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 18, 24. A man of companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Where there is no guidance, a people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there is safety. Friends, we need one another to speak into each other's life. And then here's what the Proverbs Say to us, listen to the advice and accept the instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Don't you wish it were that easy? Somebody says to you, I think you should think about this right here. And we say, great advice. I think I'm going to apply that and live it. Is that how it works? No. We get all up in arms. We get all defensive. Hey, I think you should think, what, you see a problem in my life? All of a sudden, the head starts moving. You know, the tone starts shaking. It's like, really? But this is what friends do. Friends are meant to try to give counsel. Well, let me just press on it just a little bit more, and then we'll be done. Friends not only counsel, but they extend 
what I so kindly call the care of correction. <laughs> Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. What does that mean? How do you sharpen iron? You beat the mess out of it, right? And stuff falls off in order that it might be more useful. So by people's example, by people's words, by people's life, we are shaped. But here's one. Here's what a friend is supposed to do. Proverbs 27, 5 to 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. <laughs> Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. It does not say faithful is the back rub of a friend. Faithful is that nice drink of water they just gave me when I was thirsty. Those are good things not to be neglected. But there are times when because you love somebody so much, not inventing, but to love, you say a hard word. Because we all got to change. We all got to change. So what do we do? What do we do? Remember, when we went looking for friends, it was hard to find them. When we sought to be a friend, that's when we saw them everywhere. The Proverbs encourage us to love even through offense, to care with our words, but also not only to realize that friendships are vital, but friendship with Jesus is sufficient. That's why John 15, 13 says this, greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for a friend. Who said that? It's my precious Savior who laid down his life for us. He is sufficient, and he will give you everything you need to love one another and grow in friendship. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being near to us. Thank you for caring for us. And I pray that in this moment, you would help us. Help us as a church to draw near to our Savior and to not diminish the beauty and power of Jesus knowing us. May we get near to him and spend time with him and not neglect that. But also, Father, I pray for those who are hurting and don't seem to have anyone who listens or anyone who seeks to Know them. I pray, God, that you would multiply friendships in this church. And I pray, oh God, that where hurt exists, that people would not stop pursuing people in love. I pray, oh God, that you would give many in this room the courage to be a friend. Father, I ask that where people feel really tired, may they know of your love for them, the fact that you will be with them and never let them go, and you are the strength that they need. Father, please help us to see you as sufficient, but also to love largely because we've been loved, not for acceptance, but from it. Father, in this moment, as we take the Lord's Supper and have a time of reflection, I pray, I pray if there's any relationship tension in this room, that God, you would take people and you would have them walk to
to each other, even in this moment, and sit next to them. And if apology is needed, may apology happen. If prayer is needed, may prayer happen. But God, would you mend relationships in this moment? But the greatest relationship I plead, oh God, for you to do is to bring healing to the hurting heart. Whether it's the follower of you that just needs to confess their sins so that there's no barrier between you and them. Oh God, would you bring confession all over this room? But if it's the one who's never experienced a loving relationship with you, I ask God that you would rip the scales off of their eyes, remove the excuses, and set them free to experience your love. Father, please bring salvation to this room this day, to this city, this day. Save people for the glory of your name. And so we're going to take the Lord's Supper in this time in this same spirit of prayer. If you're a follower of Jesus and you know you need him and you know of his love, as imperfect as you are, you can go when you are ready. Get the bread and the cup and spend that time celebrating a God who knows you and loves you. But it's also not just vertical, it's horizontal. Maybe you do need to go to someone and either pray for them, encourage them, apologize and forgive, whatever needs to happen. This meal is for you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this meal is not for you. You can take it in an unworthy manner by not surrendering your life to Jesus. But this time is for you that you would call out to God, the only one who can save you from your sins and ask him to deliver you, to change you from the inside out, to make you new and whole. So this time is for you as well. Wherever you fit in this, let's spend this Lord's Supper time celebrating his love and loving one another. Let's take it together.